Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we wanna to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Matt S., Nick W., Paul M., and Brent S. New guest on the program today, Keith Bodnerchuk has joined us. Keith is the president and CEO of COSA Resources, an East Athabaskan Basin exploration company that has a number of exploration grounds nearby existing uranium mines and deposits, along with a credible team who has had recent discovery success in the basin. The company is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol COSA, and also on the USOTC markets under the symbol COSAF. Keith, great to have you on. Welcome. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Keith, first time on the program. Uh, good to have you here. Why don't you just start things off for us here in the audience uh, by throwing us your resume and why you took the CEO role at COSA? Certainly. So my background, really, I, I grew up in Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, I always had friends, family members who worked in the mines in northern Saskatchewan, the uranium mines, that is. And, you know, so I was always naturally drawn to that sector. Um, did my geology degree at the University of Saskatchewan. Started off as a contract geologist with Cameco, working on the millennium deposit. Then ultimately landed at Denison Mines, where I became a project geologist there for 10 years. Joined them right on the back of the discovery of the Phoenix deposit. Um, was there with the group when they discovered the Griffin deposit. Um, spent time working on Husky Zone, J Zone, their Zambian projects, which were ultimately sent uh, sold to Goviex. Um, then after about 10 years there, I decided, you know, I wanted to enter into the business side of things. So I enrolled in an MBA at UBC here in Vancouver. Um, I was completing my MBA and I kind of reconnected with Steve Blower, um, who was the VP of Exploration at Denison Mines um, during my previous job. And, you know, I wanted him to introduce me to banks. You know, I thought ultimately I might end up kind of in the investment banking role. Um, but he said, you know what, you have to meet this guy named Craig Perry, who's a CEO of ISO Energy at the time. I, I went and met Craig the next day. They hired me as the corporate development manager of ISO Energy. You know, it was a great time to join that group. They were just discovering Hurricane at the time. We obviously built that company from 30 cents to about $6 when I ultimately left in early 2021. Um, from there, I joined Craig over at Inventa Capital, where I started to do some more corporate development, um, trying to expand my resume, you know, outside of Uranium. So I ended up uh, taking the role of interim CEO with Archer Exploration and led it through the transaction of the nickel assets from Walbridge. Um, then I also helped Visa Copper acquire Consolidated Wood Jam. But in the background, I kept kind of building out COSA, um, knowing that, you know, after I kind of sunk my teeth in a few more deals in the corporate development space and kind of expanded my resume, I was ready to take on the CEO role of COSA Resources in the uranium space, you know, where I have that long technical background. And so then I ended up taking the role in early 2022 um, for COSA Resources and then really put my head down and spent the last 15 months building out uh, the current land portfolio that we have at COSA and expanding the team to where we are now and where we're starting to talk about the story. And you didn't venture too far from uranium. Seems like you took maybe a brief break, but uh, it's yeah, you back exactly. Then. Yeah, for sure it does. I think it's always been my passion, especially, you know, 
it being such a prominent um, part of the Saskatchewan, you know, workforce and culture, really. Yeah, good time to be involved, I think. So I want to get into COSA in just a moment, but, you know, as this is a first uh, introduction podcast introducing you and the company, I'd like to also just get your view of the uranium market and how you see the uranium market and also coupled with the need for viable discoveries at this point. Yeah, for sure. I think, I really think we're actually in unprecedented times in the uranium market. I think, you know, obviously short term, you'll hear a lot of experts and people speaking in the space about these short term catalysts with um, uranium fund, new uranium funds coming online, like things like Zuri Invest. And we all saw what happened once the Sprott Uranium Trust entered the market last year, what it did to the, the spot price of uranium. But it's just overall, the market sentiment is is at the highest it's ever been, I feel. You know, you have people on the right side of the aisle and left side of the aisle, both understanding that, you know, uranium mining and nuclear power itself is going to be such an important um, part of the future going forward. Um, you know, and obviously what's happening at the world, you know, Russia, Ukraine, you know, you hope that they get to a resolution there. But what that's led to is energy security issues. And that's, you know, that that is a real thing. And, you know, you see what's happening with how China is really pushing towards uh, becoming basically the biggest customer of uh, uranium source from Kazakhstan. You start to wonder what the rest of the world's going to do. I mean, U.S. is still, what do they consume, about 25% of, of the uranium um, still in the space. And so, you know, what are they going to do if Kazakhstan, the largest um, consumer of uranium in the world, or the largest producer of uranium in the world, you know, is kind of more cozying up with China. So that really leads to Canada, right? And the Athabasca Basin, where you have the highest grade deposits in the world, the most valuable deposits in the world, and really a need to secure supply and start finding new supply so that we can really help out the rest of the Western world, largely driven by the U.S. Thank you for that. So the company is just finishing off an approximate $5 million Canadian capital raise. Uh, this was announced back in May. Talk about how this went. What is the immediate plans for the capital? And how much runway does this give the company in terms of not having to come back to the market? Unless, of course, notable company-specific success occurs. There was a lot of demand for it, I think. It kind of goes back to when we started COSA. We listed it in uh, March of last year. We raised $2 million, largely just passing the hat around to uh, really people in our group. Um, we didn't have any rain projects at the time. And we put our heads down and just went to work acquiring assets and piecing together the land package we currently have. And we didn't really raise any capital since then. So we've been kind of protecting that $2 million we raised. $2 million we raised, we hadn't really been taking salaries um, and things like that. So this is really the first time um, since we've kind of took the cap off this company, I would say, or pulled the cover off this company, that we are starting to um, come to market as this new uranium story, but led by a team that's had their fingerprints on a lot of the success in the basin over the past 15 years. So honestly, it was within the first half an hour of announcement, there was just a huge amount of demand. Um, we ended up we ended up taking just just over $5 million, uh, left a lot of appetite out there. I think it's a good number. It's one that will really lead us through our next few phases of exploration on our projects. Um, we're going to start doing some geophysics right away, 
uh, on our URSA project, uh, which will be followed up more detailed ground geophysics, in which then will be followed up by a maiden drill program in early 2024. As far as runway, um, this easily carries us through that maiden drill program and, you know, well beyond, I mean, even to the end of 2024, if need be, um, from a capital standpoint. So we're in good position. We'll have just over six million in the bank. And so, yeah, a great position to start exploring our projects in a meaningful way. Sounds good, Keith. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how this gets utilized and some of the progress that we have over the next 12 months or so. While we're on the topic of uh, kind of the financing side of things, uh, why don't you cover off the capital structure of the company for us at this point? Any major shareholders that you can mention and also where management and the board stands with their ownership? We're just under 34 million shares outstanding at this point. It's largely controlled by management and insiders and advisors. We control about 35%. We are the largest shareholders. We funded this venture from beginning through all the rounds of financing. Um, so as far as strategic investors, it's really us. So it's me, it's Chairman Steve Blower, um, Wes Short, another guy that founded it with me, uh, Craig Perry, obviously a long track record in the uranium space, the strategic advisor for the company. So that's that's largely it. You know, we're the largest shareholders. So that's why I said once we came to market here, there was a lot of appetite from you know the usual suspects in the uranium space to to get a to get in on this company. Why don't you cover off for me? some of the management team members. I know you've mentioned some already. Of course, Craig Perry, we've discussed. Would like to have you say a few things about Steve and some of his background and some of the work that he's been able to deliver upon in the basin. Really, all these folks here are key people that were at ISO and really led to that discovery. Just talk about the people at the company and key folks you'd like to mention. Yeah, certainly. So I think it really starts at the top with our chairman, uh, Steve Blower. You know, I think Steve really has an unmatched track record of discovery in the Athabasca Basin. Um, he was the VP of Exploration at Denison Mines when they discovered Griffin and expanded Phoenix. He moved on from there to help um, assist NextGen with their initial resource and then joined the spin-out of ISO Energy as the VP of Exploration at that moment. And he led the team through the discovery of Hurricane. Um, when we were at ISO Energy, we ended up selling some assets to 92 Energy. Um, Steve joined them on the board and really as their lead advisor, technical advisor, and then obviously they came across the GMZ zone. So really he's had, you know, three significant discoveries in the past 15 years and has really created a significant amount of value for shareholders and and so really unmatched track record. And he's really the brainchild of the assets we've, we've put together here at COSA, you know, and so it's, he's been a mentor of mine a long time, a close friend, and, you know, it's, He's heavily involved with COSA uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Next, I'll touch on Craig Perry, who I mentioned before. He is our strategic advisor at COSA Resources. His office is right next to mine here. He's, he's also quite active um, with the company. He's obviously a founder of NextGen. Um, he was the founding CEO of ISO Energy and ultimately led that from, you know, 50 cents to $6. And he's had, you know, a tremendous amount of success even outside the uranium space being the chairman of Visa Silver, um, former chairman of Skina, and just, you know, a track record of creating a lot of value for shareholders and really building companies from, you know, almost nothing to billion dollar companies. So it's having him and Steve, you know, both heavily involved in COSA is, is really helping us um, as we continue to advance this company. On the management level, we have Andy Carmichael, who's our VP of exploration. So, when Steve and I left ISO Energy, 
Uh, Andy took over as the VP of exploration of ISO. He obviously led them through their initial resource, um, which is the highest grade resource in the history of the Athabasca Basin, being just shy of 50 million pounds at 34.5% uranium. Um, and then the other guy is Justin Rodko, who is a senior geologist at ISO Energy, um, also part of the discovery team of Hurricane, along with Steve and Andy. Um, and he's since joined COSA as our corporate development manager. So, you know, as far as the people responsible for finding the hurricane deposit, you know, Craig, Steve, Andy, and Justin, we have all four of them currently working with our team. And obviously Steve's track record goes well, well beyond that. And so, you know, so we truly have um, the band back together on that front. And really what I'd say is probably the, the best team in the uh, exploration space in the Athabasca Basin. Well, Keith, that's a bold statement. Best team inspiration within the basin. I think that's uh, that's good, and that's what attracted us to uh, to contact you and to look pretty hard at this company. And so, come back for a moment on something you said. Assembling this property portfolio, why were these projects, you know, Ursa and Astro? Talk about how these were assembled. Talk about the thought process that was behind this, and how you guys got the vendor to move these assets into the company. Yeah, so like I said, you know, when we listed COSA, we knew that we wanted to really focus on putting together assets in the Athabasca Basin. And we really wanted to protect that cash position and not go to market, just marketing a story without having good assets to back it up. And so we really spent, geez, 14, 15 months with, with our heads down, um, piecing together these projects. And it was really Steve Blower that decided what direction we were going to take this company is on an asset basis. And I think the best way to describe it is that this is what Steve always says is locally, it's very difficult to find these deposits, but regionally there is a bit of a pattern to it. You know, you have these long Northeastern corridors um, in the Athabasca Basin where you can map, you know, MacArthur River down to Griffin Phoenix, down to Key Lake. And Steve said, in order to set ourselves up, you know, for exploration success, we got to put ourselves within these corridors. And so that's what we did, right? We obviously, in July of last year, we acquired some ground from a vendor um, that was Castor Charcoal and part of Ursa. And then it was really in December um, of last year where we managed to piece together the vast majority of the Ursa project. Um, you know, we had our heads down uh, working on acquiring these assets and we actually got the majority of Ursa through staking where it became available. And what usually happens in the Athabasca Basin is that you know, land becomes available. Um, there's a lot of people that attempt to stake it online and it becomes very fragmented where you can't, you can't really piece together a meaningful project. But for some reason, people were asleep at the wheel over Christmas last year and we managed to piece together 60 kilometers of the cable bay shears. And so once we did that, I just remember Steve sitting back basically saying, okay, guys, we got our project. Now let's, let's get to work. And, you know, just taking one step back further, you know, the east side of the basin, you know, we always talk about it, it is infrastructure rich, which makes it easier to work both from an exploration standpoint, but it is starting to be extensively explored, especially in and around areas like MacArthur River, Key Lake, obviously. And so it's starting to leave not a lot of room for those elephant sized deposits. You know, maybe there's room for another hurricane sized deposit, but even those are starting to become few and far between just due to the density of exploration that's happened. And so we took a step back and we decided, okay, so where where would the logical place for that next great district to be, um, that next great trend, right? Obviously, next gen vision; those guys have that 
have it happen in the Patterson Lake area. So where is that next one going to be where there's a lot of meat left off, a lot of meat left on the bone and where there's potential for these, you know, multiple discoveries. And that really led us to go slightly deeper into the basin, into the Cable Bay shear zone. You know, it's, it's the next long Northeastern trend, you know, which is a great analog to, uh, you know, MacArthur River and Key Lake in those areas. And that's where our URSA project is. And so that, like I said before, how we pieced that together, you know, became something where we just feel that, yes, it is slightly deeper to the unconforming of that area, but it's, it's worth the risk to really go after those large elephant sized deposits. And it's one that's, it's an area that's been identified in the past, you know, with, with past exploration, you know, led by, I guess, is Uraners, followed by Kojima and really held by Urano well into the 2000s. And I think if it wasn't for Fukushima, really causing, setting back the uranium exploration market for down near two decades. Um, this would be a project that wouldn't be available and it might even have discoveries on it to, at this point. And so, you know, for us to be able to piece it together and especially in this, you know, uranium market, which is really taken off here to grab a project that we feel that strongly about, you know, was a huge win for us. Yeah, it sounds pretty compelling. So I want to follow what you guys progress here and, on the two key projects, Ursa and Astro, start with either one. I mean, these things are pretty greenfield, Keith. I mean, there's almost no work that's been done on them. There's a little bit of work, but talk about how you're identifying the drill targets for the upcoming maiden program. What is planned next for really testing out those targets? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with Ursa. I think, you know, I don't like to say that we have a flagship project, especially when we're this early on in exploration. I think you can call a project flagship once you have a discovery. Um, we've always taken the mentality that, you know, we're going to drill it and kill it. If it's not yielding results, you know, we'll move on. And so and it'll be the next uh, project, next one in the pipeline that we'll go after. I think, you know, it's important to remember that at ISO Energy, you know, it wasn't the five projects that we got from NextGen. It wasn't the sixth project. It was, I think it was the seventh project that we bought where we ultimately found the hurricane deposit. So you have to... You can't get married to these projects. You have to be ready to move on if it's not showing results that you like. And you just have to keep, you know, analyzing land and bringing in new ground uh, to keep that pipeline of exploration projects. But going back to Ursa itself, so you're right, it is somewhat greenfields. Like I said, it was more so explored in the 80s and 90s. Um, it was probably been along a 60 kilometer trend. It's probably been, you know, 12 to 15 drill holes completed in the past, which is nothing. Um, from an exploration standpoint in the basin um, but what those drill holes did hit was some structure and a bit of weak uranium mineralization you know up to 0.2 percent um u308 over over 0.2 meters in the basement and you know that doesn't seem that significant relative to what what high grade deposits there on the basin but that's kind of how sometimes these monsters start to show themselves right um when we were at iso energy it was a weekly elevated uranium structure in the sandstone that we tested down at the unconformity where we hit hurricane when we were at denison next to griffin there's some weak mineralization in the basement um, we targeted up at the unconformity didn't hit anything significant went down dip and hit griffin so the fact that this trend you know with the limited drilling is already showing that it's fertile with uranium mineralization that's a huge positive um, and one thing another thing interesting about this area too is that you know despite all those drill holes um, they never intersected a conductor. Um, these graphitic conductors are something that's very important for deposits on the east side of the basin. Um, they're one, 
it's what all the current mines are associated with. You know, MacArthur River, Cigar Lake all have these graphitic conductors. So the fact that, you know, this was explored, drilled, they hit some weak uranium and never proved their geophysical conductor, that's just starts checking all the boxes for us, right? Where the optimal target has yet to be hit along this long trend, yet they've already hit some structure in uranium mineralization. So what this thing is begging for is modern geophysics. You know, we geophysics has really advanced over the past 20 years as to where we can more confidently target um, these somewhat deeper targets. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, we'll be starting a program probably in actually about 10 days here um, where we do some airborne EM over top of our entire URSA trend. Um, what that'll help us with is start to identify um, these conductors and really, we hope it shows that, okay, these drill holes actually weren't targeting the right spot. And once we identify, you know, some areas along that 60 kilometer trend, we'll go in and do a little bit more detailed ground geophysics, um, EM, which will help refine these targets ahead of our drilling campaign in 2024. And so, you know, it, it does take a little bit of time to do these geophysics, but it's very important. And this is exactly what these trends and these areas have been lacking over the past is modern geophysics. And that's, that's exactly what we're going to do. URSA, there's also the Orion project, um, which is really an extension of URSA. So they're kind of one in the same, and we'll also cover that with um, airborne geophysics. Uh, and then we'll look to advance Helios and Astro and a few other projects over the next you know, 12 months where we end up doing geophysics on those ones too. You know, it is, it is kind of the theme with all of our projects is that we do need that, those modern geophysics because we are looking at areas that have been overlooked in the past, you know, and that is that is our thesis for finding that next great deposit and maybe that next great trend where you can have multiple deposits is going after these overlooked areas that need this modern work. And so that'll be the next, um, you know, busy for the next six, six to eight months, really, we'll be doing those that geophysics, then obviously we'll be heading out to drill Ursa in 2024. Sounds good. And with this, Keith, touch on local community relations, First Nations. Tell us about your efforts on this front. We have a team that's had a lot of experience in the base, and even myself, I've, I've been working there really since 2007, Steve and Andy longer than that. And so we've really developed good relationships with the Northern communities um, through having employing jobs and just, you know, overall support um, in, in local community uh, functions and programs. And so, I mean, Andy's done a great job of already reaching out um, to these local people. Um, you know, I think he's planning ahead of this summer to go visit with them and I'll go, I'll do the same. I think it's just something, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in Saskatchewan. It's, I have a longstanding relationship with the Northern communities, even going back to playing hockey in that area. It's just, it's something that we really take, you know, we, we value and something we take very seriously. And, you know, we, we really got on our front, front foot and just went to work right away of reaching out and just, you know, hopefully providing a lot of jobs in the future and just, just really working with the Northern communities. Always good to make sure that those efforts are, are moving forward, even though the company is small and obviously those will ramp up as the company grows here. Well, Keith, you know, the Athabasca Basin is probably the most dense place on earth for junior companies who are professing of course, to be in the uranium exploration business. Why is COSA standout compared to all of the others? You know what? I do feel very strongly about the assets we have. I kind of I've touched on why we think they could potentially have good results. 
but I think really in the uranium space and exploration specifically, you got to follow teams. Um, I touched on it before that, you know, these teams have to be nimble, they have to be agile, they have to be ready to move on from their project if it's not yielding results. And, you know, that's what it takes to have a discovery. And, you know, I go back to ISO where it was the seventh project we had where we ultimately found the hurricane deposit. And, you know, Steve and Andy, you know, the fact that they were willing to move on from these other projects and spend money at La Rock East, you know, to discover hurricane just goes to show that they had instinct or even just a skill set that told them, okay, we need to move on to these other targets. And so I think it is important to back a team um, in the uranium exploration space. And, you know, that's exactly what we're presenting as, you know, a team that, like I said, it's a new story, but we've really had our fingerprints on the majority of success in the basin over the past 15 years. This is an opportunity for people to really participate in the story early on. Key, so the company does have another project, non-uranium, the Heron Copper Project. Yeah. Any plans here? Is the project to be monetized to support the primary uranium focus? Uh, what's the plan with the project here? Yeah, and so we listed with that project. I mean, it was available. It was interesting in the sense because Rio Tinto was earning in on the Janus Lake uh, copper project next door. And we saw something in the geology where it could eventually be an analog or even just the other side of a syncline fold, which could yield um, you know, decent copper results. And so it is not a focus of ours right now. I think, you know, I'm a long-term believer in the copper price. And I think there could be an opportunity to keep that ground in good standing if there is any sort of copper rush in Saskatchewan in that area, which, you know, it's very possible. It could be something where we could potentially farm it out. Appreciate you covering on what that was for and, and the plans. Talk about the overall efforts to increase company awareness and also improve the company's listing, you know, getting off the CSE and maybe on to something like the TSXV. Is this something that we can expect, say, over the next 12 months, Keith, or you think it's further out? Uh, just talk about that. No, it's definitely something something that we are going to work towards here over the next, I mean, you can even say six to eight months is is working towards an uplisting to the TSXV, also a listing on the OTC. It's something that, you know, as we continue to grow this company, that it is very important to us to get more eyes on this story. I think I touched on in the past that, you know, we really had our heads down for the first 14 months of this company being listed because, you know, we felt we had to put together a team and also a land package that made sense for us to start marketing the story. And now as we kind of lift the cover off this thing, I think you're going to see a lot more eyes on this story, especially as, you know, the tailwinds in the uranium space can continue, you know, it's, it's going to be a story that a lot of people are going to want to follow. Absolutely agreed. Be great to see you get out the CSE and, and move on to something that's better. So looking forward to seeing that progress and then OTC upgrades, QB, QX, that type of uh, setup in the U.S. would be useful. You know this and, and that's good. There's some CEOs in the sector and other sectors that just don't understand these types of things. And I know you certainly do. So I appreciate your comments on that. To wrap up, Keith, for potential investors who are listening in, Coastal Resources has a market capitalization of about 12 million Canadian here. What do you say to investors who are considering the prospects of this company as part of their junior uranium exposure? This is a new story, but we are a team that's really had their fingerprints on a lot of success in the base in the past 15 years. You know, we are hungry, we're competitive. We have a group of geologists that are extremely passionate about the space and they're willing to go in that extra effort, what it takes 
to make that next great discovery. You know, obviously there's a lot of tailwinds in the uranium space and you've seen a lot of juniors in the space even have valuations, you know, well north of $50 million in their market cap. So for us to be sitting as low as we are right now, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to come in, you know, as we continue to lift the cover off this thing and get more eyes on the story, I don't suspect we'll be at this 12 million valuation that long. And Keith, best way for investors to contact the company? Yeah, so you can uh, contact through the website. It's a good way to contact us through our email at info at closerresources.ca. Well, Keith, it's been a pleasure. Best of luck with the company and looking forward to talking again soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Andrew.